Welcome to this edition of Community Matters Podcast, where we discuss issues important to managing and governing condos, cooperatives, and homeowner associations. My name is Tony Campisi, Executive Director of Community Associations Institute's Pennsylvania and Delaware Valley Chapter. Today's episode is being recorded at the start of the holiday season, which means associations may be dealing with holiday decorations, religious displays, and related issues that may lead to violations of fair housing laws. We're going to talk about the challenges that religion may pose to community associations with today's guest, Ed Hoffman Esquire, co-founder and partner of Barrow Hoffman, a law firm with offices in the Philadelphia area and the Lehigh Valley. Ed is an active member of CAI and currently serves on the Pocono Mountains Regional Council and as a delegate to CAI's Pennsylvania Legislative Action Committee. Ed, thanks for joining me today. Happy to be here, Tony. So Ed, this topic actually came about from an article that you wrote recently for Common Ground Magazine, correct? Yeah, in uh, earlier in 2019, um, I wrote an article for Common Ground on uh, some of these religious issues, and uh, that was part of the part of the article topic. And then this kind of uh, topic was very hot, for lack of a better word, around the nation actually. And uh, I was on a panel at the law seminar in New Orleans in January of 2019. Uh, with three other lawyers from around the country and uh, together we worked on the content uh, for the law seminar. I I basically utilized my Common Ground article as source material and then we put together a a larger set of materials um, for the law seminar and we actually received the uh, Best Manuscript Award for the work that we did on the topic. So I hope to have some good information gathered from both my article and research as well as the presentation manuscript to share with everyone today. Well, congratulations on the award. Um, Tell me how religious issues can become a fair housing challenge in a community association. Sure. Uh, To begin, so the Fair Housing Act is the the federal act. It stems out of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and in our world, it prohibits a community association from discriminating against individuals uh, for protected issues, protected classes. Uh, And here we're talking about discriminating against a potential purchaser or a resident in an association based upon their religious belief. So most claims that you see coming down the pike uh, in the religious realm will allege that an association has enacted or attempted to enforce a restriction or a rule that allegedly abridges someone's religious freedom and makes housing unavailable to that person. So uh, claims may also involve violations of state statutes to prohibit religious discrimination as well. So there are two ways a violation of the Fair Housing Act based on religious grounds can be established. Uh, The first one is an FHA claim can be proven based on intentional discrimination, and that's your smoking gun. That's the kind of stuff that you would see and think there's intentional discrimination. So uh, it's it's called disparate treatment under the law. You're treating someone differently than someone else based on their religion. And to establish a claim, a plaintiff has to demonstrate, and this is getting into some legal, I say legal mumbo-jumbo, an invidious discriminatory purpose was a motivating factor and that has to be what was behind the HOA's actions. So that's the intentional discrimination. 
Uh, plaintiff doesn't have to prove that the discriminatory purpose was the sole purpose of what was going on, but only it was a mo motivating factor. So they don't have to say the only basis for what the association did or denied my request or wh whatever it was uh, was intentional discrimination, but it ha it's a factor. Right. So a lot of times the the where associations and in, in other you know in other housing circumstances, landlords, etc., they run into trouble is when they try to um, hide the intentional discrimination by couching it in something else. And that's where they get into trouble. And boards of directors have gotten into trouble around the country for uh, trying to act in a way where it looks like it's not intentional discrimination, but it's the whole walks like a duck, quacks like a duck kind of thing. It's a duck. It's discrimination. Is that is that prevalent? Uh, I, I, uh, no, the vast majority of the claims um, in my eyes aren't uh, intentional discrimination, although obviously the allegations are that they are intentional. Right. But um, you know, it's what you see more is other denials and disputes between unit owners, and we'll get into some of that. Uh, the second way a claim can be established uh, by a unit owner or a resident, tenant, etc., in an association uh, is showing that an action of the association. While, while not specifically intended to be discriminatory in nature, had an impact, it's called disparate or disparate impact, on owners that held certain religious beliefs. And that kind of claim, uh, in very general terms, can be established by demonstrating that some decision an association made, the board made, had a segregative effect or a negative impact um, and made housing options more or significantly more restrictive for members of a protected group than for persons outside that group. So essentially what we're talking about here in, in our world is policies and procedures, rules and regulations. Something uh, a board enacts and says we're going to have a rule that says you can't do this. Well obviously if the rule says you can't put something on a door frame it's going to affect Jewish people that want to put up a mezuzah. Right, and that rule in and of itself could be held discriminatory because it's a part of the religion and the Jewish faith. Observant Jews have to put a mezuzah on the door frame, and they'll pass a rule saying nothing on the door frame. Right. Uh, so that kind that thing has a greater impact than someone else because other people aren't putting something on their door frame. And we'll talk about mezuzahs; it's one of the hot topics in in litigation in this area. So what you have to remember is no matter what the theory of religious discrimination is, the plaintiff has the burden of establishing the discrimination. Okay? And once it's established, the burden shifts to the association to establish a le legitimate, non-discriminatory business reason for taking the action. Uh, if, if the association comes forth, then the burden returns to the plaintiff, the owner, the tenant, the resident, to establish that it's merely a pretext. And that's what I was talking about before. Okay. Uh, that it's smoke and mirrors and really they there has to be there's some discrimination right and a plaintiff right now um, and this is an important thing a lot of people get tripped up about this a unit owner a resident a tenant uh, I'll just call them a plaintiff can't currently establish a claim for a violation of the act the Fair Housing Act for a refusal to grant a reasonable accommodation based on religious grounds so currently and I say currently in quotes 
there is no requirement under the Fair Housing Act to provide a religious, a, a reasonable accommodation for religious reasons. Reasonable accommodations are required to be, be made in situations involving disabilities, not religious circumstances. Um, and finally, the caveat here is state statutes and local ordinances may require certain accommodations. So associations have to alter restrictions or rules if they have any discriminatory impact. So you always look at your state statute, you always look at your ordinances. Um, I'll talk about some of the uh, state, state statutes. There are six states that currently uh, have passed legislation involving religious practices and housing, and we'll talk about those. Just for the, the benefit of our, our listeners, can you, because most of them are in Pennsylvania, New Jersey area, yeah. are, are our states in this chapter part of the six? Uh, our states are not part of the six. Okay. They're not part of the six. Okay. Before we talk about things like symbols and decorations, etc., uh, can owners use either their unit or an association's common property to host a religious service? Uh, so the simple answer is yes. Simple answer is owners can use uh, the units or common property, and that's typically a clubhouse, right. to hold a religious service. Now, I say that with a big uh, caveat, a big asterisk. You know. In general, associations have authority to regulate the use of their common elements or common areas and it's reduced when the religious service would be limited to a dwelling. So courts have made a distinction about holding some a religious service in a dwelling versus a unit. And also, we'll talk about this a little bit more, I'll, I guess I'll just get into it. So when it's a dwelling situation, meaning a unit, you can't run, typically run a church out of your house. Right. Or condo unit or the townhouse. Uh, and court, but, but courts have generally disfavored restrictions imposed on the use of a dwelling for religious purposes. Uh, and that's the, the key. What's it, religious purposes can mean something very broad. And there's little case law on the issue what, whether an association may prohibit the use of a dwelling for religious services. But, and it's also rare that restrict that the covenants will actually address this. You never see this. Mm -hmm. You never see thou shalt. I, I'm not trying to make a pun, but thou shalt not use your unit for religious purposes. Um, so instead, what typically thwarts an owner's ability to utilize a unit or a home for religious purposes is zoning requirements. Okay, it's a lo lo It's a local. It's either federal, state, or local. It's typically local law. And if, if you're utilizing your home for a purpose, especially if someone literally starts a, non a nonprofit, a church, or you name it, religious facility, and they run it out of their house and people are coming and parking on the street mm -hmm. and they're walking to the house, it's no longer a single family residential purpose and it takes it outside the scope. Right, okay. Uh, the, the issue becomes when freedom of religion, or rather, allowing one to worship in their home. No one can stop you from doing that, but you can be stopped from running a church right. out of your home. And that's right. primarily based on zoning law. So I would say always look at local zoning ordinances to determine whether it can be used and uh, it can result in a challenge as to whether, and also the owner could challenge 
whether a local zoning ordinance limits the size of a gathering or overly prohibits the, overtly prohibits the conduct because they could still have, say I'm just having people over to pray right you know and if it's some if there might be a, a limit on how many people can be in the house at one time fire code etc but typically not our world let me interrupt you a second sure. because some associations have adopted restrictions on home-based businesses right what's the difference it's not really a business it's not a for-profit pecuniary benefit kind of thing uh, it's a situation where you're going to worship. I mean, I know a lot of churches. I know my church has uh, prayer groups in homes, but it doesn't mean you're running a church out in your right. in your home. So um, I guess the distinction becomes: Are you literally running the entirety of the operation out of the home versus just a service? Right. Right. But typically, the service is one of the most important parts. Right. Of That's that. the reason for the existence of the church. One could argue. One, but... one of one of the reasons. Yeah. So. Uh, but I guess the, the lesson here is the units, it's not really, right now, the restrictions aren't really there in our world, meaning in the covenants. Right. Now, using association facilities like club, clubhouses for religious gatherings, this has been litigated um, frequently around the country. And as you can imagine, Florida. You know, in Florida, it's... Florida's condo land, so this happens all the time. <laughs> so associations have a lot more latitude in regulating common areas, including clubhouse use, than they do homes, typically anyway. And courts have actually examined where rules prohibit the use of facilities or common, common facilities for religious gatherings and have actually upheld them, provided they're neutral and didn't have an, a, a disparate impact upon one religion over another. So you can't say... You can have it for a Christian service, but you can't have it for Jewish or no, no Muslim services. You can't do that. If you're going to allow it for one, you have to allow it for right. one. Uh, so there, there's a case that's familiar in, in the, the lawyer world called Savannah Club uh, Worship. And Savannah Club was, is a homeowners association in Florida. And this case has a long history, but in prior to 2004, uh, the Savannah Club Worship Service is the name of the, the entity used. The Savannah Club Homeowners Association's clubhouse for their weekly religious services. So some owners complained about it, uh, and the Homeowners Association adopted a new rule prohibiting religious services from being conducted in the common areas, including the clubhouse. And the Savannah Club Worship Service was a club created consisting primarily of residents of the HOA, so it wasn't really a lot of outsiders who wished to conduct religious services within the common area in the clubhouse. So the lawsuit was brought under, uh, I'm getting a little technical, Section 3604B of the Fair Housing Act, and that prohibits discrimination against uh, persons in terms, conditions, or privileges of sale or rental of a dwelling or in the provision of services or facilities. In connection therewith, and uh, because of race, color, religion, etc. So religion is one of the keys, and facilities is another one. So the lawsuit was filed specifically under that provision, and the court held that the, because the rule was neutral in its face uh, and applied to all religions, it wasn't unlawful religious discrimination. So once the association said no, nobody can use it for any religious service court said okay right. it's, it makes sense right? right it makes sense and the court um, 
further found that the association in implementing that rule provided an unrebutted, non-discriminatory reason for the rule. So here the association said the rule is we don't want it because too many people, you know, it, it's not a good use of whatever it is. And it was unrebutted. They didn't come back and say, no, this is only discrimination. You're discriminating against Christians. Right. Because it, so the, because it excluded all religious services. They, they couldn't say that because of religion. Right. It excluded all religious right. services. So the association actually introduced evidence here that the religious services caused violations of other rules. And this is what I was going to get at. Such as parking and impinged on the right of other members of the association to use the common areas during the long periods of time that the club is conducting its religious services each weekend. Uh, I think the parking rules is a stronger argument than the other one because mm. anytime you're using a clubhouse, someone else can't use right, it. Right. Whether it's for yoga or a cooking class, mm. whatever it is, you know, you can't, I, maybe there was three hours instead of two right. or whatever. But I think the parking rules is if, if you can't, if people are driving to it and a large community, they are. Uh, if you're part, literally parking in areas where you can't park, mm -hmm. that's what's it, it's leading to that occurring, right? The draw is the service. So, uh, I guess the, what we have to learn here is when de determining if an association should adopt a rule prohibiting uh, the use of common areas for religious purposes, the rule should be drafted neutrally, and that the purpose behind it's not directed at a particular faith. And that's happened, you know, around the country too. Right. People have uh, tried to eliminate one faith from doing something over another, and that's mm. that's obviously where you're, you should get tripped up. On. Right. Yeah, you should you should say the court should say no, you can't do that. Right. So if such a rule is adopted, it's, it can reduce the likelihood of a fair housing complaint. Um, and, and by the way, permitting common areas and facilities to be used for religious purposes creates the risk. Uh, of practitioners of certain faiths alleging that, that the association, by permitting particular religious gatherings, is discriminating. Even though they could say, we haven't even asked, they can say, well, you're letting them do it. Mm -hmm. But then it's the next step is, well, did you ask if you can do it? But if someone sees that someone's using it, they feel left out. Right. So always you know, think about when you're doing these rules. And neutral rules avoid allegations or being used for purposes other than those permitted or contemplated. So whether it's a church or you know a service or anything, neutral rules that prohibit everything like that um, take away the argument, takes mm -hmm. the win out of the sale. So in other words, a rule that bans all use of common areas that may have a significantly negative impact on parking right. is, is a good idea as opposed to saying we're banning religious services because they may have a ban, on, a negative impact on parking. Right. You're not, you're not uh, specifying what the use is. You're saying any use that right. negatively impacts parking is is not permitted. Right. And I guess uh, one of the other things is how many people can fit in the room. Right. You know, if you have 100 people coming in, the room's supposed to fit 40. Right. It's a problem. Right. That that leads to the argument that it's. There are too many people, and it's also overflowing in the areas. Right, regardless of what the purpose of the meeting is. So use re be reasonable. Again, we're going to go back to some uh, board decision-making 101. Be reasonable. Use your head. Uh, if you have any questions, call counsel and, and ask about it before you adopt the rule, not after. Right. So you gave one example of a, of a court case 
that, uh, well, let me rephrase the question. Are there examples of discriminatory, discriminatory conduct based upon religion that have been found uh, uh, to be discriminatory by courts? Yes, all over the country. Uh, and we'll talk about one or two of them today, uh, maybe one, given that these take time. But the Fair Housing Act, as, as amended, by the way, includes discrimination uh, in housing based on religion. And state fair housing laws may also apply, but not all claims of religious discrimination by owners or residents are based on FHA. They could be based on other things. And other standards also may serve to bar religiously discriminatory practices. And um, again, state statutes and local ordinances, right? So, but we're, we're talking about the Federal Fair Housing Act for consistency here. So uh, the cases that we're talking about, the case that the case, one case we're going to talk about is really a fair housing case, but it also references some other things. That case is called Block versus Frischholz, and this one is a, a an Illinois case. It's a Chicago Condominium Association, and these are federal cases. So right. even even I know we're in Pennsylvania and New Jersey, but even courts in Pennsylvania, New Jersey would look at federal courts here, the Eastern District, mm -hmm. would look at what courts concluded around the country. It wouldn't be, um, it, it wouldn't be dispositive on the issue, perhaps, right, or precedential, mm -hmm. unless they make it precedential. Right. But that's how federal courts. But it's going to have an impact. They look, they right, they look around the country and they see. So this case is probably what block the block case is one of the one of the most cited cases concerning religious discrimination that we have. Uh, it's everywhere. And it involved the prohibition of a mezuzah. And a mezuzah is a small rectangular container holding a parchment bearing inscriptions from the Torah, uh, which observant Jews are required to post on doorposts. And that's what I, I kind of mentioned that earlier. And, and you know, typically it's three or four inches in, in height, uh, an inch or two wide, and it's very small. Uh, but in that case, where this association got tripped up, it, it related to the history, okay? And we'll talk about that. So this is a Chicago condo. It adopted a rule in 2001 that prohibited mats, boots, shoes, carts, or objects of any sort outside of entrance doors, of unit entrance doors. And the rule initial, initially wasn't interpreted to prohibit mezuzahs, so people had them. In 2004, the association did hallway renovation and painting. The association board reinterpreted the rule to bar mezuzahs as well as other religious, political, and decorative items. So they basically said, nothing out here, mm -hmm. right? You get the door, you get the doorbell, the trim, the paint, everything, but nothing. You can't, you can't add put, anything. A resident can't, can't even put anything. a decorative item out. Can't right? hang a wreath on your door? Can't decorative item. Right. Uh, so the associations, in this case, what, what led to the trouble in the lawsuit was association staff removed and confiscated the blocks mezuzah, the blocks are the, the, the folks that own the unit, the mezuzah from their three units. So they had three units and they had mezuzah on everyone. They confiscated all of the mezuzahs every time they put them on the doorposts. So they came and literally took them off. You have to nail them on right. or stick them on right. somehow. And when Mr. Block died, the association agreed to allow the Blocks to keep up a mezuzah during the seven-day shiva. That's a mourning period following the burial in the Jewish faith. So after, the, and this is, you can't make this stuff up. After they got back from the funeral, 
the blocks found the mezuzah was already removed. And when they retrieved it and reinstalled it, the condo staff attempted to take it down again. And sh so Shiva starts after the funeral, in which the association had already agreed. Following burial, down. correct. Right. Okay. So when they got back, it was already gone. Then they got it back from the association and put it back up, and they tried to take it down again. So then the block said enough is enough. They filed suit and sued the association and the board president, claiming religious discrimination and violation of the FHA. And the trial court found for the association. Okay, that's a district court. And it went all the way up to the Seventh Circuit on appeal. Uh, and it, the majority of the appeals panel affirmed the district court, which means they agreed with them. Then, because it was such a... Uh, a sexy issue under the law, <laughs> meaning meaning a, a legal issue that is important enough to warrant further discussion. Right. Okay. The full court. I appreciate the, you defining the term "sexy issue." Correct. Correct. Yeah. It's, a, it's 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 nerd lawyer stuff. <laughs> so the full court then agreed to hear it. Um, they call it en banc. It's a full panel of the Seventh Circuit, and that's a big deal when you have a circuit court and appellate. And a, a circuit court of appeals in any of our judicial circuits agreeing to to uh, hear the whole the, the case with the whole panel. So the en banc court, the whole panel, the whole court concluded that although the association's actions didn't constructively evict the blocks, meaning the blocks argued that we can't even so a mezuzah. The premise within a mezuzah under Jewish faith is it blesses the home, and it has to be outside. Right, it's a requirement. It's not optional. It's right. not decorative. Right. It's part of the faith. Observant Jews say we can't even live here unless the mezuzah is present. Mm -hmm. So they, one of their arguments was constructive eviction. Well, if we can't have that there, you're evicting we us. We can't live here. Right. Correct. Uh, but the court said it didn't constructively evict them, but the association could be found to have interfered with their enjoyment of their rights or intimidation on account of exercising those rights. So it could give rise to a claim under the Fair Housing Act. So this thing was an exercise in what not to do. I, I talked about this case specifically because there's some level of absurdity present in the association's actions right. as this was progressing. If I were the attorney and they told me what they were doing, even with the first rule, I would have said forget about it. Then if I would have found out that they were pulling it down after, you know what I mean? Right. So this is an exercise in unreasonableness, in my eyes. A question for you, um, and I don't know that you can answer this, but how much did the reinterpretation of the original rule play into how this court case uh, ended up being determined? Well, they basically, the analysis was very long, but what what the court discussed here was that the, this rule was put out basically as a pretext to specifically bar mezuzahs okay. and specifically the blocks, right? That was the underlying the underlying basis here was you didn't do this rule to have clean hallway walls. Right? I know you repainted and everything, but that's not why you did it. This was the allegation made by the by the blocks. Right, right. Well, one of the, one of the foundations of the lawsuit was it was a pretext. Okay. So you they redid the rule in 04 after they renovated the hallway and right. the premise was, well, we're barring everything now, right. right? Because now everything looks clean and painted. So you can't have anything out there mm -hmm. including your mezuzah. Uh, and they said for you know, it's obvious that this is a pretext 
for for something else. Yeah, and and that played in the analysis. So uh, conduct, basically, where we are is conduct that discourages or prohibits members of any particular religion from seeking or obtaining housing or interferes with it, and that was undertaken in order to discourage or prohibit the religious group uh, from seeking or obtaining or enjoying housing violates the FHA, even though it might have been legal if it had been undertaken for non-discriminatory reasons. Here, the reason was pretext. Right. But again, you if you're discouraging people from being able to practice their religion and it's a requirement, that's where you run into trouble. Right. So another, another thing that we should talk about is um, activity that's not prohibited by governing documents may not actually be improper. So there's a, a case um, in New York State. It was a New York City condominium, and it prevented the erection of a sukkah, which is a temporary outdoor hut to be used for meals and possibly sleeping. In the Jewish faith, um, there's a holiday of Sukkoth under... Uh, and this this condominium uh, covenant provided that you couldn't put it on unrestricted common elements. And the court upheld the restriction because the bylaws specifically prohibited installation on the common elements. But the New York City condominium later prohibited the erection of the sukkah on the plaintiff's balcony, which was a limited common element rest- uh, restricted only to use by the unit owner. So the distinction here was... Initially, this case went through a couple different levels. It was, I think it was seven or eight years between the two. It started out and the court found in favor of the association and said, yeah, because you can't put the, this, even if it's temporary structure, it's not intended to be put there on a general common element. Okay, We understand you have a religious faith issue. Then the association prohibited them from putting it on their balcony. And the court said, well, hold on a second. That's a limited common element. Some lawyer got wise. And they said, this is restricted to use only by the unit owner. And the court held that there was nothing in the documents that prohibited placement of the sukkah on the balcony. So by barring it, the board violated the bylaws and wasn't protected by the business judgment rule. So it enjoined the board from preventing the placement of the sukkah on the balcony, but did require that plaintiffs remove it within one or two days after the end of the holiday. Okay, So they said, and this is getting into the document issue, that's why I brought it up. Look at the documents. The documents can't can't violate the law, okay? But this argument was we understand the general common element issue, but what what harm is there for someone to use a limited common element, which is for their to, to, for their exclusive use and benefit, okay, to practice their religion, right? Right. Now the two day removal afterwards is relevant because it doesn't mean you can leave it up for 365 days a year Mm -hmm. because the the documents will prohibit that regardless of what it is. But here the distinction was limited common element versus general common element. So the the word to the wise here and why we're talking about it, be careful, look at the documents. If someone asserts a limited common element issue for some kind of use, be wary of it and understand that. So, uh, leading back to the Fair Housing Act, do community associations have to provide unit owners with a reasonable accommodation under the Act? So, the simple answer is no. No. For for religious purposes. Correct. Correct. Uh, Again, for religious purposes, no. For uh, disabilities, yes. Right? For an established disability, yes. But, there's always a but, although there's no obligation under the FHA, 
um, to make an accommodation for religious purposes, making a reasonable accommodation can avoid a finding of discrimination. Okay. okay? It's, not a, it's not an accommodation issue. It's a discrimination issue. So by granting it can avoid a claim and a finding. You know what I mean? Yes. So what about uh, restricting an owner from putting up religious symbols or religious displays? So the lawyer answer is it depends. It depends what the restriction is and what's being restricted. Uh, and these type of disputes are, are increasing in frequency. And again, mezuzas, uh, we talked about the block case. Uh, mezuzas, there's typically, and, and again, it's not a decorative issue. It's a required requirement for the religion. Right. And that's the distinction. It's really a religious symbol, uh, and, a, and a sukkah is a religious display. Okay, They're not decorative items. So there are six states that actually have legislation, uh, Connecticut, Florida, Illinois, Rhode Island, California, and Texas, that prohibit restrictions on the placement of mezuzahs or other required religious objects on outer door posts or doors. And if you read the, the actual the statutory language, some of them are so specific. I think Florida's is you know, 3.5 inches by two inch, it, it literally describes mm -hmm. what it is. You, thou shall, you can't stop someone from doing that. Uh, Pennsylvania and Jersey don't have those restrictions as we mentioned before. Uh, in other states, FHA, including Pennsylvania and New Jersey, other states and or a state version would generally prohibit restrictions against the installation of religiously required objects based on particular situations. And unlawful, unlawful restrictions would include prohibiting required religious displays, but allowing secular items to be displayed, right? So you're going to allow a wreath. Is a wreath secular? Probably. But you're not going to require, you're not going to allow a, a mezuzah. So then that's where you run into discriminate. You can't say yes to one and, um, and also obviously allow one religion to do something and right. not another. Right. And, and um, where there's evidence that this, and again, this goes back to the seemingly facial neutral restriction adopted by an association related to removal from the exterior was pretext, um, like in the Mezuzah case and Block, where we're prohibiting religious uh, items effectively prevents a religious person from living in the community, a constructive eviction issue, you're gonna, they're gonna be found to violate the Fair mm -hmm. Housing Act. And disparate impact, we talked about that a little bit. These claims, I think, are gonna really pick up um, in the religious realm as well as other areas in, under fair housing. Uh, there was a case in Philadelphia filed in 2017 or 2018. Uh, it involved a Hindu condominium owner and he wanted to hang a Toran uh, it's a decorative object under Hindu faith in his doorway, and he raised allegations of disparate impact. And this was in federal court in Philadelphia, and they said it violated the association's rules, um, but the association's rules specifically permitted mezuzahs. Okay? Here, the argument wasn't that it was required. It was a decorative item, but it was still a religious item. Right. That one settled, so we don't know what would have happened. Okay. And it was in our dis it was in our circuit, which right. would have been interesting would to have find been helpful. out. Right. Well, right. One way or another, it would have been helpful. Right. But it settled and it was dismissed, so we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. This is a thorny area. You have to be really careful if you're serving on a board and and a decision like this comes before you. You know, deciding if it's a religious symbol or a religious display. Is there some sort of guidance uh, that might be helpful to an association board member 
if an item placed outside of a home is merely a secular holiday decoration or if it's considered religious in nature under the law? So the simple answer is yes. There's, there's a legal distinction between holiday decorations and religious symbols or religious items. Um, but it's, it's more difficult to actually apply that standard. Okay. And there was a there was this U.S. Supreme Court case that evaluated the constitutionality of Christmas and Hanukkah displays on public property. So there's a distinction here, but it's some guidance on public property, and it was in Pittsburgh under the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment. So there, the the, the Allegheny County put a Christian nativity scene up um, and allowed a Jewish menorah to be put next to it. Okay, and here's what the Supreme Court said, and I'm going to really boil this down to its essence. So, the court said, and this case had fast, and again, I'm nerding out a little bit, had multiple opinions, it had the majority opinion, one or two concurring opinions, and then this scathing dissenting opinion. And the court found that a Christian nativity scene is, is a religious symbol, and a Christmas tree is not a religious symbol. A Jewish menorah is a religious symbol, but it's not solely religious in nature, if that makes any sense. The court said, when, a, when you put a menorah next to a Christmas tree, it's secular in nature. So it's a decoration when it's next to a Christmas tree, right? When it's not next to a Christmas tree, it is a religious symbol. I know. This, this is, is if a you, creative way to come up with an acceptable decision by the Supreme Court? Uh, <laughs> If you read it, I guess what they were trying to achieve is determining what what's the intent of the symbol, right? Right. So um, a Christmas tree, they're saying, generally is decorative in nature, where a manger scene is for the purpose of showing the the birth, right? Right. Uh, and, and they're also saying the Jewish menorah is the same way; it's a religious symbol, but it's not solely religious in nature. So when you put them when you put a menorah next to a Christmas tree, it's secular. Changes the meaning. Right. So I guess that's how they were, because it was a Christmas, you know what I mean? Right. So whether or not a holiday decoration is act, actually a religious symbol, or and this is what the court, this is, a, again, legal mumbo-jumbo. Whether or not a holiday decoration is actually a religious symbol or religious display depends on whether an observer, someone looking at it, would believe the decoration is an endorsement or a disapproval of an individual religious choice to be deemed by a, I'm going to put this in quotes, air quotes for the radio listener, reasonable observer standard, reasonable observer. So what would someone who's just walking along and they stumble across that and they're looking at it, what would they think? Would they think the decoration or display is a religious symbol or religious display or would they think it's just a decoration? Mm -hmm. And that's where the court went with all this. The, the, the moral of the story is always use care in dealing with these issues, right? And I'm not saying this as a joke. It's not gospel. These issues aren't gospel, meaning there's, you can't, there's, sometimes there, there is no, may, may be no clear right or wrong answer, but there's a best practice right. to go with it. Right. That makes and, sense. Right? It's use your common sense yeah. a lot of times and be reasonable. Uh, so, and that was again a public property case. It wasn't private, but mm. it's the only thing we have. It's the only thing we have. So, complicated topic here. What are some key takeaways before we wrap up for associations to be able to properly handle these uh, religious issues? 
sure. in their community? Sure. So uh, number one would be otherwise non-discriminatory policies and rules, which have a reasonable basis, can be found to be unlawful if they're implemented with any intent to discriminate against a particular religion. And the intent or motivation can be demonstrated by the actions of words or association representatives. And what that means is going and pulling down a mezuzah after the funeral, right? Literally having staff go and keep removing it. The intent there was to just keep pulling it down. It was discriminate against the blocks. Here, you can have, you could say it's a non-discriminatory rule. We repainted the hallway, nothing out there. Uh, but we're, about, by the way, we're emails, Exhibit A. Emails are always Exhibit A. Mm -hmm. uh, so a emails are always read in court and generally establish what happened. Right. And sometimes open conversations with people establish what happened. So again, you can say it's non-discriminatory, but if you act otherwise, right. it'll be found to be discriminatory. Uh, number two, a community association has the authority to regulate or prohibit the use of common areas for religious purposes provided that the regulations are reasonable and don't have the intent of discriminating against a particular faith. Okay, common sense. Three, restrictions on the use of association facilities for religious-related activities, either by owner-sponsored organizations or even outside organizations, should be neutral in their face and can't have a disproportionate discriminatory impact upon a particular faith. And I see it, it sounds like I'm saying the same thing over and over. Can't allow something for one and not for another, okay? Uh, associations, number four, should be able to prohibit a home from being used as a place of worship based on residential use covenant or zoning ordinance. Typically, you don't see the residential use. You see a residential use covenant, but you don't, it doesn't mention this use, religious use. Zoning ordinances are typically where you're going to be. Um, Five reasonable accommodations under the FHA are only related, only currently required, and I say currently because that's where we are with the law on, for disability-related claims. Associations don't have to make reasonable accommodations for religious reasons, but again, check state and local laws right. because they might have more. The FHA is a floor, not a ceiling. Mm -hmm. Right? The ceiling would be local and state law if it exists. Six, associations may not be obligated to reasonably accommodate religious practices, but providing a reasonable accommodation where it doesn't interfere with or impact community oper oper operations or policies may avoid a lawsuit. Use your common sense. Mm -hmm. If someone requests, I'm going to do this, I wouldn't, I, I, again, I wouldn't call it a, a reasonable accommodation. I would tell them that this isn't a reasonable accommodation issue, but we are going to allow you to do this, and here's the rule. You can do it, you can take it down in 10 days, right. whatever it is. Because then you don't want there to be a door open to making it a reasonable accommodation. Right. And the final one, note a difference between a holiday decoration, a religious display, and a religious symbol in order to properly handle any issues involving a religious display or religious symbol. And, and you know, owners are educated and, and owners and, and residents and tenants, they know. A lot of times they come to the association with the specific provision of the law saying, here's why I'm allowed to do this. Uh, so a lot of times the board gets educated by the people who are saying I'm allowed to do this, but before you say no and preclude it, know the difference. Contact your attorney if there's an issue, and don't make the don't make an error of passing a rule that blanketly discriminates against a religion. 
Good takeaways. This is a complicated and and really fascinating topic. We could probably sit here for another hour and, and not uh, complete the discussion. Um, but thanks, Ed, for joining me today. This was a great topic. If any of our listeners would like more information on services provided by Barrow Hoffman, please visit their website at www.barrowhoffman.com. For more resources and best practices on managing and governing your condominium, cooperative, or homeowners association, please contact CAI or visit our website at www.cai-padelval.org. Thanks for listening. <laughs>